Welcome to the Cultivation of the Wild Woman podcast. My name is Ben. And my name is Rachel. And today we're going to continue where we left off in the last episode, reading from and discussing The Art Spirit by Robert Henry. Last time we left off on page 10. And you had mentioned how it was the 100 year anniversary, it being 2023. And it was published in 1923. Which I had no idea when I picked the book that it would happen to be this way. Yep. I've had the book for years now, so I I think we you read it like three years ago. Yeah. I read it all through by myself and I kept returning to it. And how did you find it? Well, um, that's a fun question. Do you remember? I think it was a from a video produced a film i guess a short film called four artists paint a tree which you can find on youtube i'll leave it linked because that's a good one and um you just gotta watch it Watch that video and you'll see why I picked up the book and found it. So was it, oh, okay, I remember, yeah. A very interesting artist mentions the book. So, it's had a long career as an important book since it was first published and I think its value has only increased since then so and uh, it's I guess before we keep reading I want to say that a lot of my favorite books are from this time period from about I would say probably the 1880s 1890s to the 1940s There's this generation of authors and thinkers who are witnessing the height of, in my mind, the height of Western culture. Hmm. And so, at least it was uh, before industrial processed food Mm -hmm. was the most common way of feeding people. people living in a city where it's the wild jungle of nature is too tamed. Right. Like it changes the brain. I remember when I was like a teenager, people were questioning, how's the internet gonna change our brains? And I think a hundred years ago, the question was, how are cities gonna change our brains? Yeah. So that's what also makes it a, tying with the food is actually that people were more 
in major cities specifically or yes. growing. So it's a fascinating time period I like to read from. It's much easier to read than say books from the high renaissance or mm -hmm. other heights of culture in English. So if you if you're in the English speaking community speaking speaking English speaking <laughs> then uh consider looking around the World War One era has William James was writing then, Carl Jung, lots of uh powerhouses of English Although I think Carl Jung mostly, I don't know if he wrote in German or Swiss or English, maybe all three, I'm sure. But anyways, one of my favorite time periods to study and without further putting it off, let's finally get back to uh, page 10, Letter to the Class, Art Students League, 1915. Now this, uh, the Art Students League, I believe refers to the Art Students League of New York. And their motto was, no day without a line. <laughs> and that wasn't a line of Coke, that was a line of painting <laughs> or drawing. So they had a very fun atmosphere at that time because it wasn't a school, it wasn't I mean, it, I guess you could call it a school, but not really. I don't know. It was a league. It was a student's league. You know, it was like a fun, carefree place where you would practice your discipline and your craft. So he's speaking to those people at that time, many of whom became illustrators for magazines and books and things and or full-on paint, fine art painters. But... Uh, mm. That's who, he was, that's who he was speaking to. Letter to the Class, Art Students League, 1915. An interest in the subject. Something you want to say definitely about the subject. This is the first condition of a portrait. The process of painting spring from this interest. The processes of painting spring from this interest. This definite thing to be said. Completion does not depend on material representation. The work is done when that special thing has been said. The artist starts with an opinion. He organizes the materials from which and with which he draws to the expression of that opinion. Every material he employs has become significant of his emotion. The things have no longer their dead meaning, but have become a living parts of a coordination. A prejudice has existed for the things useful for the expression of this special idea.
Only things essential to this idea have been used. Nature is there before you. A particular line has been taken through nature. A special and particular vision is making itself clear. The lace on the lady's sleeve is no longer lace. It is part of her. And in the picture stands as a symbol of her refinement and her delicacy. The color in her cheek is no longer a spot of red, but is the culminating note of an order which runs through every part of the canvas, signifying her sensitiveness and her health. To start with a deep impression, the best, the most interesting, the deepest you can have of the model. To preserve, to preserve this vision throughout the work, to see nothing else, to admit of no digression from it, choosing only from the model the signs of it, will lead to an organic work. Every element in the picture will be constructive, constructive of an idea, expressive of an emotion. Every factor in the painting will have beauty because in its place in the organization, it is doing its living part. It will be living line, living form, living color. Because of its adjustment, it is given its greatest power of expansion. It is only through a sense of the right relation of things that freedom can be obtained. As different as ideas and emotions are, there can be no set rule laid down for the making of pictures, but for students found working in a certain line, suggestions may be made. There is a certain common sense in procedure, which may be basic for all, and there are processes safe to suggest, if only to be used as points of departure. To those who have not already developed a satisfying use of their materials. It is on this ground that I offer you the following. With your model posing as he does in the same position every day of a week, you have choice of differing modes of study, and it is up to you to decide well which will be the most profitable, which will carry you further. Some will work the entire week on the same canvas, and others will find it an advantage to make an entirely new start every day preserving as far as possible the canvases of the early days to compare with the work in hand, and making these comparisons, sitting in judgment on them, and coming to decision as to what to do next. Some will find it advisable to start a canvas number one on the first day, 
and a canvas number two on the second, and alternating these two canvases for the rest of the week. They will, in a sort of duel, teach each other much. I myself have found it useful to work on two canvases, alternating them with every rest of the model. One does not sleep in this kind of work. There is an excitement in it that can improve the sometimes dying energies in a classroom in the later days of the week. Every mode has its virtues and its vices, but the student who is a student and attending to his own case will, in the mode just described, crowd into a week a lot of experience in commencing a work. And he will come to a very great knowledge of his understanding and his possible visions of the subject. The value of repeated studies of beginnings of a painting cannot be overestimated. Those who cannot begin do not finish. <laughs> and for all who continue to work on the same canvas, let me suggest that your struggle throughout the week should be to perfect the beginning of your painting. If you are thinking and seeing your own work and the work about you, you must observe how general is the failure in the progress of works. The fact is, finish cannot be separated from a perfect commencement. Insist then on the beauty of form and color to be obtained from the composition of the largest masses. The four or five large masses which cover your canvas. Let these above all things have fine shapes, have fine colors. Let them be as meaningful of your subject as they possibly can be. It is wonderful how much real finish can be obtained through them. How much of gesture and modeling can be obtained through their contours. What satisfactions can be obtained from their fine measures in area, color, and value. Most students and most painters, in fact, rush over this. They are in a hurry to get on to other matters, minor matters. In dealing with these four or five masses in portraiture, the mass of the face is the most important and should be considered as principal to other masses even though the other masses be more brilliant or striking in themselves. Also, the mass of the head should be considered as principal to any feature of the head. The beauty of the larger mass is primary to and is essential to the lesser mass. Paint over and over, scrape and recommence in your effort to find out and establish the beauty of color and design possible in the large masses. When you scrape, do it like a good mechanic. Paint thin over proper light surfaces, but paint either thin or thick to get your desired effect. 
Permit no hurrying on to the lesser masses before all has been done that is possible with the larger masses. Determine to get in these larger masses all that is possible of completion. All the drawing, color, design, character, construction, effect. Remember that the greatest beauty can be expressed through these masses, that the distinction of the whole canvas depends on them. When later you come to the painting of the features of the face, consider well the features part in relation to the idea you have to express. It will not be so much a question of painting that nose as it will be painting the expression of that nose. All the features are concerned in one expression which manifests the state of mind or the condition of the sitter. No feature should be started until you have fully comprehended its character and have established in your mind the manner of its full accomplishment. To stop in the process of drawing the lines of a feature, to inquire what next, is surely to have a record of disconnection. No feature should be drawn except in its relation to the others. There is a dominating movement through all the features. There is a sequence in their relationship. There is sequence in the leading lines of the features with the movements of the body. This spirit of related movement is very important in the drawing or painting of hair. Hair is beautiful in itself. This should not be forgotten. But it is the last position of importance it takes in the makeup of a portrait. The hair must draw the grace and dignity, perhaps the brains of the head. The lights on the hair must be used to stress the construction, to vitalize, accentuate, and continue movement. The outline of the hair over the face must be used as a principal agent for the drawing of the forms of the forehead and temples, and must at the same time partake of the general movement of the shoulders and of the whole body. The hair is to be used as a great drawing medium. It is to be rendered according to its nature, but it is not to be copied. Think well on this, it is very important. The eyebrows are hair in the last instance. To a good draughtsman, they are primarily powerful evidences of the muscular actions of the forehead which muscular actions are manifestations of the sitter's state of being. The muscles respond instantly to such obvious sensations as surprise, horror, pain, mirth, inquiry, etc. And the actions of the muscles are most defined in their effect on that strongly marked line of hair, the eyebrow. However subtle the emotion, the eyebrow by its definiteness marks the response in the muscular movement. In certain heads, the eyebrow 
while normal, still holds a very positive gesture. There are those, therefore, who carry in repose an expression of sadness, boredom, surprise, dignity, and some accentuate the force or direction in the action of looking. To a good draughtsman, the eyebrow is a living thing. It develops a habit, which it expresses in repose, and it flashes intelligence of every changing emotion. It draws the shape of the lower forehead and temples, the squareness, curve, and bulk. After all that, it is a series of small hairs growing out of the skin. The eyebrow must not be drawn hesitatingly. It must be conceived as a whole. Your conception, your brush, the quantity of paint in right fluidity must be all ready before you touch the canvas. By the spring in the drawing of the eyelash, the quick action of the eye may be suggested. The upper eyelid and lash generally cast a shadow, scarcely observed, yet very effective on the eyeball. The white of the eye is more often the same color as the flesh about it than the average painter is likely to think it to be. The pupil is larger in quiet light, becoming very small by contraction when looking into brilliant light. The highlight in the pupil is a matter of drawing, although best done with one quick touch. Its direction, shape, edges, and its contrast in color and value to the pupil give shape, curve, brilliancy, or mark the contrary. The right brush, the right paint, a perfect control of the hand are necessary for this. For some, a mall stick to steady is one of the great value here. There is a time and place for all things. The difficulty is to use them only in their proper time and places. The highlight on the end of the nose is likewise a matter of important drawing although generally executed in a simple, quick touch. By its shape, it defines the three angles of the end of the nose. The lines and forms in the clothes should be used to draw the body in its sensitive relationship with the head. The wrinkles and forms of the clothes are building material, not for tailoring in your hands, but for established basic lines rising to the head. There is an orchestration throughout the whole canvas. Nothing is for itself, but each thing, partaking of the other, is living its greatest possibility, is surpassing itself with vitality and meaning, and is part of the making of a great unity. So with the works of the great masters. Do not tell me that you, as students, will first learn how to draw and then afterwards attend to all this. It is only through such motives that you can learn to draw. This kind of thought is drawing. The hand must obey the spirit. With motive, you will become clairvoyant of means, will seize and command them. Without motive, 
you will wobble about. Realize that your sitter has a state of being, that this state of being manifests itself to you through form, color, and gesture, that your appreciation of him has depended on your perception of these things in their significance, that they are there of your selection. Others will see differently. That your work will be the statement of what have been your emotions, and you will use these specialized forms, colors, and gestures to make your statement. Plainly, you are to develop as a seer, as an appreciator, as well as a craftsman. You are to give the craftsman in you a motive, else he cannot develop. All that I have said argues the predominant value of gesture. Gesture expresses through form and color the states of life. Work with great speed. Have your energies alert, up, and active. Finish as quickly as you can. There is no virtue in delaying. Get the greatest possibility of expression in the larger masses first. Then the features in their greatest simplicity in a concordance with and dependent on the masses. Do it all in one sitting if you can, in one minute if you can. There is no virtue in delaying. But do not pass from the work en masse to features until all that can be said with the larger forms has been said. No matter how long it may take, no matter if accomplishment of the picture may be delayed from one to many days, hold to this principle, that the greatest drawing, the greatest expression, the greatest completion, the sense of all contained lies in what can be done through the larger masses and the larger gestures. All right, that brought us to page 18, where there's a break. Uh, so that's the end of the letter? No. Or what? It, it goes going. on. Well, it's a long letter. Wow. It goes on to page 25. So more like an essay. <laughs> but there is a, there's a break there. Hmm. So we'll take a break there. Let me put the hood up. Came undone. It felt weird to me how all of a sudden he's like uh, jumping into these detailed. Uh, um, techniques, advice on technique, and but mainly because I don't paint with oils, and um, well, I haven't yet, so I'm just like oil seems all about light, and understanding your light. 
source and I don't know, it's like uh, it's a mosaic. It's not literal. There's no black pen borders right. to anything. It's all just collaged. Like you're saying, just slap it on. Don't, <laughs> don't sit there too long and all of a sudden the image will change form. Yeah, that was interesting too. So whatever you notice in this one, you know, like if you're looking at a fern and it's like picking that you're going to draw that plant and what's your, like getting your shot and going. Yeah. And not like adjusting the... The eye that you have, like you saying you're capturing your mood, it's basically got to do it before your mood changes and changes the art. Yeah, that's, I think, very difficult. And that uh, game on, what is that app last night where you pull your finger and then it makes the four snowflaked what are those oh, called? that was radial symmetry on, in Procreate yeah. on the iPad. That, I could find I could practice that feeling of like what kind of shape am I doing and then how many times can I create the same pattern. Right, same mood. I mess up and then it like looks weird. Yeah. And it, who's to say it looks weird? Right. So. I find it, it uh, an analog to that feeling when we're exploring and looking for new uh, places, new sites is when it, when we first arrive, I usually have a certain energy and feeling of like, wow, this place. And there's like a vision. There's like a place that when I stand in that spot and look in a certain direction, I'll have this sort of encapsulated where like, this is the, this is the spot. This is the point of view. I'll have this feeling like, okay, if I stand 20 feet or even two feet to the left or right or up or down the road, it's not the same feeling. It's a di totally different mm -hmm. feeling of the place. And then what happens is if you stay there for a while, you forget or lose where that spot is. And all of a sudden, your surroundings become over familiar to you and you're no longer have that vital energy. Mm. So I think that's what I was thinking of when he talked about the, um, when your sitter or any subject could be a person or any, or a landscape, anything, when you, when you first open your eyes and look at them or you first walk in and see them or they finally sit down and you sit down and you're ready to go there's going to be a certain energy and it's almost like when I was doing a lot of quick sketches of you and the boys, they'd be moving and climbing or you'd be doing yoga or something and I'd see a pose that I liked. And the problem was it was fleeting, but I would sort of be able to capture it mentally and hold it in my working memory for maybe a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And if it took me, if I, if I could get it down with the pen 
in those few seconds, it had the energy and it was right. But if I took too long, all of a sudden, by the time I was finishing the gesture, I didn't know where the le legs were or, or something, or, you know, it was, uh, I took too like, long. Uh, and now the, yeah, yeah. The ca I couldn't, I couldn't uh, hold it in my Boiling rice memory. is like that with it cooking over a fire. Uh, if you get your fire too hot, you just boil over and it's messy and it doesn't look very good. Right. If you boil it too slow, they won't even freaking cook. It'll still be a freaking <laughs> yeah. seed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you're like, that's not right either because that was too slow. And you didn't quite finish the legs. You didn't quite <laughs> finish your rice. Yeah, I think that that's what stood out to me on this section. of. But you can't force the fire to like be a certain way. You have to feed it a certain way. And your art has to be, you have to be able to move a certain way and have that dexterity like bead works like that you gotta be able to get your needle through to the bead otherwise you're not gonna have a bracelet you can't yeah. wish those beads on there you gotta do it yeah right yeah <laughs> which is why crafting i think is traditionally like a very person who's a seer because you get these omens when you're doing it and you also know that you're in the in the flow, because uh, we're, if you're not out there collecting honey and doing manual labor, then usually you tend to be uh, an artist and you craft, you whittle or fiddle or do something that makes something out of it, a blanket or a pot of rice or a painting. Because he said that in the beginning, that you don't have to be like a painter. And I feel like, though the height is to me painting, because it's the most like, that doesn't put food on the table, but it can. But it doesn't like translate to food. It's not like you have a milking cow and you milk it and you get milk. It's a painting and you paint it and it sits on the wall. <laughs> like that doesn't, it's not a table, it's, but it stimulates the mind and is a way to order either your own mind or whoever gets to look at the art, which is why uh, rich people always fight over good pieces of art because you've got a good omen in your walkway because it looks like it, it's charged, like yes. you were saying. It's I got... think that it is the most challenging thing in the world as a human being is to control your state of mind. Mm -hmm. and, and I, okay, and thinking of that, one of the weirdest stories I've ever heard to me is that people have gone and trained themselves so well they could go into surgery and not faint and not be taken over by the pain. They can be fully awake while getting a surgery done. That to me, the, the power of their mind, and they've studied these people's minds. Yeah. And they're they look different and then they've done that to even like people who are monks and all they do is meditate. Exactly, yeah. And they say their brain is different. They have different things that are on and right. working. So to have I, someone's I, piece of art. Yes. Although I would say there's, I'm glad you bring that up because it brings up to me a duality or a binary here, which is that the mind can be used, um, to anesthetize itself 
So you can have a mental anesthesia, which is what you're talking about. But then the mind can also be used to esthetize itself mm. and become even more sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I think painting and art and sculpting is the human esthetizing themselves, becoming extremely sensitive to every little nuance and taking in all the subtleties of either light or form or feeling, uh, you know, if you're sculpting, then you're using the subtleties of your, the pressure of your skin against whatever medium you're sculpting, clay or stone. You can feel it, touch it and pick up subtleties in the texture and form and shape. And the weird thing is to me though, that when you contemplate a painting, I think the value in it comes from the fact that the artist was who painted it was so capable of entering into a certain state of mind and controlling that state of mind and holding that state of mind over a period of time where if you look at a child, their state of mind is constantly fluid. They'll okay. be no, crying with laughter the, or crying in sorrow. A good example is that Finn is uh, one. Yeah. And he just now has the intention span to watch a movie for about 30 seconds. <laughs> He'll like stare at it. <laughs> yeah. Like he could, where before he might see the pattern moving on the screen, but it means nothing to him because all the other attention. screens yeah. look fuzzy like that too. Yeah. <laughs> so he wouldn't really notice. Yes. And now he's like, wait a second. And he recognizes figures and people and like yeah. objects that yeah. he recognizes in there. Yes. Hello, Finn. So the attention span of a one-year-old is... Yes. Att uh, being able to seconds. attend, but also being able to attend in a certain mood, in a certain way, in a certain emotion. Holding, being able to hold that emotion over time. And uh, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of your pain, hunger, frustration, longing, um, whatever is happening to you as a biological being, your spirit is powerful enough to maintain that energy. Yeah, and like stories of people who lived like way longer than you'd think, like even just Moses up on the hill, 40 days without food or water. Yeah, that's probably, but, the, and I've, uh, I and think that, Wim but that's Hop what- doing it, the cold stuff, you know, yeah. so it's all about what muscle stuff, are you- Stuff like that helps you maintain control, I think. Oh, definitely. But not, also, it doesn't, even though most it, people are not willing to do those. They're just not. They're, their astrology is never going to put them in that situation. They're never going to be Moses up there on the hill, though. Right. They're never going to climb Everest. Right. And that that reminds me of how you how do you generate insight? And it's not a personal thing. It's just like just know that you're not that person. You have no desire. Well, here's the thing, though. You well, buy the art of the person who did. Oh. So you can recognize a state of mind that you would like to be in, and then you can buy that painting, hang it on your wall, and then enter into that state of mind at will. Mm -hmm. Now, because that artist was able to sustain their state of mind long enough to sustain your attention. Because if you look at really good art, uh, you'll, you, what you see is, or what I see, 
is um, the more I look at it, the more I, it depends, it's, there, there's different artists. I'm thinking of Jess Carp, who has a great um, YouTube channel. And when I look at her art, I can tell that the marks she's making, each mark has a certain fun, fluid movement to it. And so you look at the, the drawing as a whole, but then if you keep looking in the, at the details, each detail is like a, a, a dance, a step in the dance. Mm -hmm. And so you can appreciate each mark that's made. I don't know if, I mean, that's a specific type of... No, that's what he said at the end of the passage was the gestalt is the most important. Get your big gestures correct. If you've got your fern out of frame and it's the frame, it's what's in the frame, it's the, it's the thing, you know. Right. Uh, better get that right. I don't care if you got a leaf over there, right? <laughs> right. Like it's the but whole. Some, well, there's that, but then there is the detail. Yeah. So. But not getting. Don't get into the detail first, obviously, because then it ruins the whole effect. However, a great artist gets the whole at first, I think, and then all the details are on the same harmonic frequency as the whole. And so what happens is, uh, like when look uh, if I look at my own drawings, some of them I'm like, oh, okay, this is a nice gesture, this is a nice pose or whatever, but then I can't look at it very long, right? I look at the drawing and I'm like, okay, it takes me about 10 <laughs> seconds to read this drawing. And next, you know, whereas if I look at one of uh, a better artist who has spent a lot more time on their drawing, I can sit there and just enjoy mm. the same mood. I don't lose the energy when I stare at the drawing for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, the power of the artist is to help themselves and others concentrate and maintain a state of mind over a long period of time. And then if you buy that, hang it up, look at it, you can enter back into that state of mind whenever you need to, whenever okay. you want to. And I see that if you can't afford art or that's just not what you're around, uh, meaning your nature, basically, you're either, to me, in the cities and you're studying art and looking at the resources and things. Right, museums. And or sketching something. people and, you know, you got a bunch of opportunity. And then if you're in nature then there's all these patterns of plants that I've been learning. And then even if we move a forest over, they're still 99% the same plants. Right. But maybe like the tree spacing is different and there's moss instead of grass or right. uh, more clovers. Or, uh, it, does, it is so random yet still within the basic cards of, what's gonna show up. And so you can either go look at pieces of art or be directly inspired by God, which is what I think a lot of these seer type people just tend to do, is uh, basically be in nature. They're people who are, because the more isolated you are, the more less chance you have to survive because right. you're not with a tribe. But if you don't have a tribe, what do you have? Peace and quiet. <laughs> 
<laughs> because we all fight. We all sleep weird some nights where you're talking in your sleep or you're the guy who snores or whatever. So if you have a smaller group, then it's higher risk in some ways, but then also you just get more nature and less uh, human to human and seeing like their art making. Right. You kind of make your own. So everybody's a different artist in a different way. And I feel like the last hundred years with the school system didn't teach people art. I mean, I did, even though I switched schools a lot. And I remember each school's different art programs. One school, uh, we did sewing. One school, we did, like, actual cooking and baking at the Montessori. And then public school, middle school was good. I think we had, like, uh, what is that, wood where you dig the wood out and you make like an ink block type thing. Oh yeah. That was hard though. That was like, uh, we did printing. sketching in high school, but never really, it wasn't really a, considered a career. It was considered like PE where it was like, <laughs> it, yeah, it was the counter to PE. Like we kind of have to include this. Otherwise you bounce off the walls mentally. Right. Was art class. And then PEs you'll bounce off the walls physically. And then all the other ones were seeming like math and science were like you had to take it and you had to do well on it. Otherwise, you're not a human was the vibe. And Weird. now art classes don't even exist in a lot of kids public schools. Yeah, they took it all out. And I think that's weird because the art career is with the Internet. <laughs> All the Gen Xers are like, oh, you can be an artist and have a career as that, <laughs> like other than being an architect. Right. That's like the, one of the only ones I can think of that's an artist who made their way into the bureaucratic, yeah, like yeah. what you do learn in school, accounting. Yeah. And so normalizing artists, I see is the next hundred years. Yeah, it has to be when there's super abundance and supercomputers. Yeah. Math and science is, it ne math and science needs the artistic development of the individual too. Mm -hmm. So it's weird. It's an interesting time to always is that. Because for me, art isn't about being an artist or a professional artist. Art is about, like I said, being able to control your state of mind. Mm -hmm. It's a form of meditation but it's an active meditation. It's a purposeful meditation. It has a goal, it has an aim, which is, like he said, the expression of your emotion. And that translates, because the, I believe the mind is metaphorical. So anything you develop in one area, any capacity you develop, like being able to hold your attention and see the detail and integrate all the smaller elements into a cohesive whole, well, you need to do that to have a cool scientific theory that helps. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to take all the facts of science that you've developed and experiments you've gone through and then put them into a theory that works or that, or that has some effect. So art is just the best, most uh, cheapest way to experiment constantly and develop this capacity to maintain a state of mind over a period of time, which is why I couldn't smoke weed because 
it shortened my working memory so small that I couldn't maintain or hold the vision or the idea for the painting. I know for some people it helps them, but I think it, I think it helps them be less inhibited and get over maybe some fear or anxiety or whatever it is. But ultimately the effects on memory, I think, are what I had to recognize that it wasn't helpful. So I've, I view when I'm drawing or painting, it's a sort of an exercise in how long can I meditate on this emotion? How long can I sustain it through? And if I keep adding, like when I do a gesture drawing, then I start uh, adding the form, adding the big shapes and the forms and then refining the details. How long can I keep adding to it before I ruin it? Mm. <laughs> and I think that to me is the height of mastery. The height of mastery is Michelangelo is like, I'm gonna hit this marble with, with this chisel for four years and then I'm gonna get the statue of David. So that dude had to channel David through for four years and sustain that emotion mm -hmm. with every stroke of that chisel. That's why he's so, such a great figure of, of our you know, artistic achievement. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things, I've never seen it and I can tell I haven't seen it. I don't care if I've looked at a picture, I can tell right. you gotta be there. It's like the Abraham uh, Lincoln one in New York. No, not New York, DC, over there. Oh yeah, yeah. East Coast. The Lincoln Memorial. That, uh, there was a book I was reading that was talking about sculptures as being, oh, it was my astronomy study book. She was saying that sculptures are like one of those I don't know. She was talking about um, how people use clocks with rocks and they create those, uh, what's the ones in Germany, those tops of the mountains. Clocks and with rocks. <laughs> the giant, oh man, some weird name. Oh, oh Stonehenge. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah. Mega megalithic structure. That sculptures are just that and that they represent like a, an energy is like saved in there from that time. And it is, I don't know, capturing like what Abraham looked like and what right. that Greek human looked like back then. Right. Because when we look back and we're like, people's thighs were that big and they hey. were like just yeah. meaty thighs. <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> they've seen how food has changed the way people look that if there was like one tribe who ate a bunch of beans for 50 years and then the other people ate just nothing but meat for the next 50 years and their heights changed drastic, you know. Right. They could tell, it yeah. makes an effect. Just go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Beachfront, nowhere to hide. Well. Thank you.